Hello and welcome to Iraq Devs Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evi Kiori and this week we are discussing EU's enlargement. The European Commission published this Wednesday, 12th of October, its enlargement report, provoking disappointment in the candidate countries. Countries like Albania, North Macedonia, Serbia, Montenegro and Turkey have been on the waiting list for years, with no significant progress being made. The content of the enlargement report wasn't different from the previous years, with a clear message being, EU says, candidate countries do, if they want to be a part of the Union. Yet, this time, what was worth paying attention to was the language and the tone of the reports since Russia's war in Ukraine has emphasized the urgency to speed up the enlargement process. And yes, in theory this sounds feasible, but practically things aren't that pitchy. Huge frustrations come from Western Balkan countries who are tired of the promises and the finger-pointing and see the pro-European sentiments plunging. Except for Albania and Kosovo, where citizens are still pro-European and continue to hope that their countries will join the EU soon. In other countries like Serbia, the majority of the population is critical of the EU and supportive of Russia, something that indicates that the EU's policy of trying to keep Russian influence out of the Balkans and and keep candidate members close is failing. To discuss why the enlargement report on candidate countries is important and needs to be taken seriously from the EU, I'm joined by Euractiv's Alexandra Przosowski and Alice Taylor. Alex, why are we talking about the enlargement reports today? So after the positive signals we have heard earlier this year on the candidate status for Ukraine and Moldova, but also on North Macedonia and Albania, there was for sure a bit more anticipation than usual for um, this this commission's enlargement package this year. It's quite a crucial time when we think about the context. I mean, it comes a week after the European Political Community Summit, which brought together a range of leaders from the EU's neighborhoods, uh, amongst others, the Western Balkans and, uh, and some others. And that kind of also showed Europe's commitment to consult with each other a bit more than has been the case, maybe also before the invasion. Um, at the same time, again, it comes amid further Russian escalation. So the anticipation was that there would be a bit more strategic signals from the EU maybe on how to engage with the neighborhood and, and what the prospects of those countries are. Alice, what would you add on this? There hasn't been much in the way of big revelations and there have been quite a few disappointments. Um, but the main news that's come out today is that Bosnia and Herzegovina should be granted candidate status. And this was a recommendation from the commission. But um, yeah, as I said, a few disappointments and a few, a lot that we already knew and quite a lot of the EU repeating things which they did last year. I would like year. to take a moment and stay on the surprising uh, decision of the Commission to grant candidate status to Bosnia and Herzegovina, which, by the way, isn't a completely new addition to the list since it has been a potential candidate for EU membership since 2003 and the country formally applied for it in February 2016 with the Commission identifying it in 2019. Still, until now, very little progress has been made. But Alex, maybe you can tell us what does this mean in practice? So for now, that does not mean anything beyond that the Commission wants to send a political signal um, to the country. Because instead of conditions for a recommendation, the European Commission now 
um, is giving a recommendation with conditions. So for that, it has identified eight elements, amongst others, mostly on rule of law, um, courts, election law, public procurement, and, and some financial management issues, which constitute the substance of further progress reports. So if, if Bosnia delivers on those eight elements, that's the idea, the country could progress quite fast in the implementation of the actual 14 conditions the EU has laid out in its opinion earlier um, on, on the candidacy. So the idea is that, you know, after the elections that happened on the 2nd of October, once the institutions are set up, which for now doesn't look um, like anytime soon, Bosnia could immediately start working on the matter and potentially also discuss already by the end of this year. But again, that's pending that uh, the national um, national context is is sorted out. Long-term observers were quite surprised by the step. I mean, since actually this year's enlargement report for the country notes that there's only limited progress, particularly on, on the electoral reforms. And um, I understand that also the, the commission was looking for the appropriate language um, as the votes are still being counted in some parts of the country. So, so far, sticks have not worked um, to do the reforms necessary. It looks like now the idea is to use the carrots and we will have to see long term whether this will help in the implementation of the necessary reforms and, you know, the fulfillment of the conditions by the country. It comes as a bit of a surprise because the country is in turmoil internally. Reforms are taking place at a very slow pace. There is the Republic of Sperbska, which is not really functioning very well. I mean, people have said it's a failed state, it's a failed experiment, it doesn't work. The, two, the way the government is formed, the split of the country is, is not working, you know. Um, so I don't think many people were expecting this to be a recommendation. Um, but I'm really happy that it is, because I think the country, considering its very difficult past, um, it deserves to have this this hope of EU membership um, dangled in front of it, you know. And I think in the current geopolitical context as well, um, to prevent Russian influence, to prevent sort of more influence from Serbia as well. Candidate members are obviously frustrated. The two countries that were at the center of attention were Kosovo and Serbia. Kosovo had high hopes for its visa liberalization and Serbia for its close relations with Russia. Kosovo, since 2018, has received approval from the Commission to liberalize um, visas, which means that citizens of Kosovo would be able to travel throughout the EU without having to apply for a visa beforehand. Kosovo is the only candidate country whose citizens need a visa to move throughout Europe, resulting in them feeling cut off from the rest of Europe. The country's government has been waiting for four years to receive formal approval, which needs to pass through the European Council, meaning that this new report is failing to give Kosovars the freedom to travel, to go on vacation, to visit their relatives and families throughout EU countries. Kosovo remains at the mercy of EU Council, um, ambassadors and the EU member states. Now, this is problematic because there are five EU countries which do not recognize Kosovo as an independent country. So that means the chance of it getting visa liberalization is extremely slim because of these five countries. Now, these five countries, uh, Cyprus, Greece, Spain, 
Romania and Slovakia, they the reason they don't recognize Kosovo is not because they have some long-standing conflict with Kosovo. It's rather the fact that they all have um, territorial disputes of their own. Um, and them recognizing Kosovo could cause a contradiction in their um, own sort of domestic territorial issues. So this is a real shame, you know, because you have a country which has met all the criteria, which is in the middle of Europe, which is more progressive than most of the other EU, um, Western Balkan candidate countries put together, that is denied the right to the basic freedom of movement. And when you put this in the context of the saber rattling that comes from Serbia on a constant daily basis to this country, and the wider issue of Russian influence in the Western Balkans and the conflict with Europe, this is even more disappointing for people in Pristina. And Alice, you mentioned something very important here, and I would like to stay on it uh, for a bit longer. You, you talked about the Russian influence in the Balkans. Serbia was at the center of attention, as I mentioned before, mostly because of the implementation of EU sanctions towards Russia. What is Serbia doing to meet the EU's common foreign policy strategy? Nothing. <laughs> Serbia have um, have refused to implement almost all of the sanctions. They've refused to align themselves with EU um, foreign policy, which, as you know, is a requirement for any country joining the bloc. You know, it's it's a standard. If you want to join us, you have to align with our foreign policy. Um, but Serbia, although it did sort of reluctantly and quietly condemn the war uh, waged by Russia in Ukraine, it has not aligned itself with Western sanctions. Now, Okay, let's be let's let's look at this situation from another angle. It is difficult for Serbia to do. It has a very long historical cultural relationship with Russia and it is almost completely dependent on Russian gas. However, it's really at a point where it needs to say, you know, am I with the EU or am I with Russia? Um this issue was highlighted in the country report and by Commissioner Varhaley as well, um, who both highlighted that Serbia's backslided on foreign policy alignment and it has to demonstrate that it's committed to um, sort of a shared EU strategy and reform and to show political will that it intends to do this as well, you know. Um, but I don't see this changing. Realistically, I do not see Serbia is going to align with the EU. It's I don't see it going against Russia. In fact, a couple of months ago, they sent sort of the top diplomat to, to Moscow, who had a lovely, friendly, cozy meeting with his Russian counterpart. Um, I, think, I think for the foreseeable future, Serbia is going to try and straddle the two the best it can. You also have to remember as well that in Serbia, public opinion for joining the EU is not high. Uh, depending on the poll, it's, it's sort of less than 50% of the population actually want to join the EU. And the EU has said that for Serbia to join, it would have to recognize Kosovo or there would have to be some sort of mutually acceptable agreement there. And when you take that into account, the number of people in Serbia that are in favor of EU membership in that context drops even more. It's around 70% would refuse to join the EU if recognizing Kosovo was on the agenda. So We have a very, very long road ahead of us in terms of Serbia, and I don't think we can really rein them in.
You're listening to your Active's Beyond the Byline podcast. Subscribe to our podcast newsletter on youractive.com slash newsletters. And if you want to expand your knowledge on other fields, you can listen to our tech podcast and our agri-food podcast. And if you have any comments or ideas, you can drop a line at podcasts at youractive.com. And Alex, what is your take on this? So looking at all the country reports the commission has put out in this package, um, I think Serbia has some of the strongest language in it. Um, and there's also a very grim, grim sentence in the report saying that Serbia's compliance with EU foreign policy has decreased from 64% in 2020 to 45 today, um, which is, again, a reference to the refusal to join Western sanctions. And um, I think while the country report is fairly grim in most areas. I mean, there is some progress, but it's it would be more said that it's baby steps. Um, actually, the Enlargement Commissioner today did say um, he saw some progress underlining that the bloc would obviously need Belgrade to be a close ally. It is the same for Turkey. The accession talks are practically at a standstill, not only due to lack of reforms and fundamental rights, but also due to well, the not-so-good neighborly relations with Greece that are one of the conditions um, spelled out uh, in the future path towards the EU. But here, too, the emphasis was laid on strategic partnership, key, key allies, uh, which are needed in the long term. And the EU is pointing the finger at Serbia to follow the rules if they want to join the Union. However, they've not been taken seriously since EU messages seem to have no real impact on national or international policies of the country. What's the frustration there? Serbia is not prepared to align itself with fundamental EU strategies, policies, lines, fundamentals, etc. Why is the EU continuing to give it money? This is what I don't understand. Why Why is it continuing to open chapters? There needs to be some sort of, okay, if you're not going to align with us, we're going to cut funding for XYZ. We're going to halt the progress on XYZ chapters, etc. But there's none of that at the moment. It's just sort of, like you said, finger pointing. And another country on the waiting room is Albania, who was officially recognized by the EU as a potential candidate country in 2000, and it applied for membership in 2019. It has been a decade, and only this year Albania managed to take the next step on its European path with the opening of the formal negotiation uh, process to become a member. And Alice, that was the last time that we spoke on the podcast about this And I remember you mentioning uh, where is this process getting stuck. So what is new there? There are a number of issues in Albania that that need to be resolved before um, EU accession can take place. But I I was very happy to see this happen because I think the Albanian people really needed um, the hope that this brings. You know, we were seeing so many people leaving the country, fleeing to the UK, Um, And I think this was very much needed to instill some European spirit um, amongst the people of the country. Um, In terms of the report, there's no real big surprises there. Um, Perhaps for people that don't follow Albania, there would be some interesting points in there. But anyone who follows your active will will be familiar with all the points raised there, as I've reported on them. Uh, The most interesting point for me, um, which again is something we've reported on, was the fact that Albania is looking to progress with the golden passports scheme. In 2019, in my pre-Euroactive days, I 
reported on the fact that Albania was planning to sell its passport um, in a so-called golden passport scheme, which would see wealthy third country nationals be able to acquire Albanian citizenship in exchange for investment in the country, um, whether it's opening a company, paying fees, etc. Um, now, this all is all well and good, but it's very problematic because if Albania becomes an EU member, um, third country nationals can just buy an Albanian passport and then access the rest of the EU. Uh, now, Malta, Cyprus and Bulgaria had similar schemes. Um, Cyprus and Bulgaria both shelved theirs. And Malta is currently facing um, infringement proceedings by the European Commission because it's continuing with the scheme. Now, what I don't understand is while the European Commission in its report said Albania absolutely has to shelve this scheme, it's not compatible with EU values. This goes back to my point of the fact that they're not really doing enough. Um, they're just sort of saying things and not following through because how can you start infringement proceedings against an EU member state for having this scheme, but then continue the accession um, the accession process for a candidate country, which is going to do a similar scheme? You see what I mean? Surely you would say, right, Albania, you need to stop doing this. And until you stop this, we are not going to progress any further. And how is this disappointment expressed? For long-term observers of enlargement, I think there was a bit the anticipation that there will be more. Um, some EU officials obviously argue that the bloc has not been firm enough on those uh, candidate countries over the years, and issues like sanctions alignment would require more pressure. Um, that's probably true. But however, I think it's clear that there need to be genuine efforts to keep the EU neighbors close so the realization that we need them or at least need them to align with these foreign and security policy in the long term vis-a-vis -vis Russia and China, um, I think should be part of the bloc's enlargement considerations. So as a bottom line, that doesn't mean, obviously, that we should be throwing overboard criteria, principles and values. But I think what where the disappointment lies a bit that over the past years, we have not seen any significant progress um, in the reports that would uh, suggest that, that any of those countries realistically uh, would be any closer to, to membership. Thank you very much. I am Evi Kiori and this was your Active Spion the Byline podcast. Visit your Active for the latest news. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, you can do so on your favorite podcasting app. This episode was produced by myself with the help of Alexandra Prozowski and Alice Taylor. Thank you for listening.